Welcome to Business Magic with Maggie Gila, making your business feel and work like magic for you and those you want to impact. Turns out you don't need a wand, you need a strategy. Hey, hey, so today we have a conversation with Rachel Cook. Rachel Cook is one of the smartest cooks, (laughs) cookies in the industry. Is that too cheesy? I'll cue it anyway. She talks a lot about how to think like a CEO, which is so up my street. What is your time worth? What should your business model look like? How do you make decisions and how do you prioritize your time? Or when you have, you know, a decision, you have three options. How do you choose what to focus on? We talk a lot about these things, about prioritization, as well as business models. And I think you are really in for a treat with her because she is just so insightful and smart and full of energy. And I'm excited for this conversation. Hey, everyone, Maggie here. And I'm super excited to be here with an entrepreneur I have admired for a long time, Rachel Cook. Rachel, why don't you say hi and give us a quick little introduction for anyone who doesn't know you yet. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thanks, Maggie, for having me. I'm so excited to dive into our conversation today. Um, If you haven't met me before, I am a business strategist and the founder of the CEO Collective, where I help women entrepreneurs to start and scale service-based businesses without the hustle and burnout. And that's what I've been doing for the past 12 years. And it's, it's just a mission that drives me. I'm honestly, my biggest mission is to end entrepreneurial poverty for women, because I believe if more women make more money, we will be able to solve a lot of the inequality in the world. Entrepreneurial poverty. Let's like, let's dive right into that. What does that mean? What does that look like? (laughs) So if you look at the statistics, even though women are starting businesses at a rapid pace, like more than any other time previous, we only make 4% of all the revenues for small businesses. And most women entrepreneurs are not making enough revenue to actually make it a sustainable business. 75% of women entrepreneurs make less than $50,000 a year US. And that is a major problem because it's easy to confuse revenue with take-home pay. (laughs) And if you've been in business for a while and you start to see those expenses add up and taxes add up and everything else, you realize, okay, what I make coming into the business is not what I actually take home. So $50,000 a year of revenue is honestly very, very little take-home pay for most women, which means not only are they struggling just to keep their business going in a sustainable way, but they're struggling to build real wealth for themselves and their families. They're not able to reinvest and grow their business where they're able to hire people, which is one of the biggest ways we can make an economic impact is if we become the next generation of employers who then can offer things like maternity leave and better healthcare options and who are able to really become the type of businesses we wish were available when we all started. That only happens if we start making more money and if we start building real businesses that have the economic impact that will make bigger bigger ripple effects across our world and economy. I absolutely love that. Like you're speaking my language here. And one thing I actually noticed um, with myself in the first couple of years to start my business and with a lot of like my peers and clients, especially in the earlier days, is that every time I kind of made some money, I thought, cool, I'm going to put it right back in the business. And I spent it on a lot of education. I start realizing, but my profit margins are absolute crap. 
what can I do to actually make sure I'm bringing more money, not into the business by buying another course or program, but increasing those profit margins to keep money in my savings account for the taxes, for, for holidays, whatever, savings, whatever. And I, I feel, I don't have statistics for this, but I feel in this like um, online female entrepreneur industry, we really almost sometimes over-evaluate the ROI, return on investment of courses and educational tools. What do you think about that? Yes, I, I see this all the time with my clients too. And this is one of the reasons why they stay stuck. They will more quickly invest into a course then they will invest into hiring the expert to implement for them. And this is a, a kind of tricky thing to navigate, right? Because there is a point where you do need, you do need to learn how to run a business and you either learn it completely by trial and error, which is takes forever and it doesn't need to, or you're going to jump that learning curve and invest in a course or invest in working with a mentor who's going to say, okay, here's the basic process. Follow this. And at some point, you can either decide to try to learn absolutely everything yourself or you can start saying, okay, here's where I am best and where my skill set really shines. I'm going to hire people to help me implement. And this feels scary for a lot of people. I've heard from so many people that are like, I'm scared to go out and hire someone to write my copy or to help me create this program or to run my Facebook ads. But at the same time, if you hire someone who is an expert, you can start jumping not just the learning curve, but you can start jumping that ROI curve because they've already done all the research and training. And we don't need to be experts in every single part of our business. We just need to understand big picture how our business is going to work and then get people on board to help us move that needle. What do you think are some very smart earlier on business investments for entrepreneurs? I think definitely a great overview course, something that kind of helps you figure out who your market is, what types of offers you're going to have, a basic marketing and sales strategy, something that will help you with that either through a course. That's not the only way to get this information. You can also get this information by working closely with a mentor who kind of specializes in startup businesses. And honestly, if you don't have the funds to do either of those things, because they cost money, right? You're either going to put in time or you're going to put in money. Money will get you there a little faster because you're jumping ahead in that learning curve. But if you have more time than you have money right now, get out there on on podcasts have so much content. Get out there and look on YouTube has so much content. Like a lot of the mentors you would love to work with have incredible free content available that will get you started. And that's one of the first places I would recommend. Once you kind of have those key things figured out, you know, who you're selling to, what you're offering them, how you're going to get it in front of them and how you're going to sell it. Those are the basic questions you have to answer. Then you can start thinking about, okay, what's the next step for me to continue going? Honestly, I feel like until you've gotten 10 paid clients, you don't need to make massive investments in anything else until you've gotten those first 10 clients. I don't care if they're one-on-one or in a group. You can keep your business incredibly simple. And what I see a lot of people making the mistake of is thinking they need to get fancy first and they start investing into things like, oh, well, I figured out what I'm going to do. I have a plan. Now I'm going to go out and invest in a very expensive website. I'm going to hire this amazing photographer. I'm going to have all of the branding look a certain way. 
And then I see them investing in, I'm going to build out this complicated funnel so I can sell my thing, but they've not sold it to 10 people yet. And this is a major mistake because if you haven't really gone through that validation, which isn't just people saying, hey, that sounds good. It's people giving you money. (laughs) Then you could be building a brand and a funnel and all of these things that are very expensive. This could be going into tens of thousands of dollars of investment into your business and then find out six months later that it doesn't resonate and no one wants what you've created. And so I'm just, I'm trying not like to roll shaking my eyes. Your head. Yeah. yeah, I'm like trying not to roll my eyes here because I'm just like, oh my gosh, I have like, I see so many people doing that and it's so frustrating. Um, and I actually, I'm, I'm, I try and be really transparent with my business, with my journey, with my decisions. And that's, that's how I like to keep conversations here as well. Because a lot of the time I see people, you know, if they look at my, even my business, I've, you know, I've been in business like half the time as you have, but I still, you know, I've run retreats. I have a podcast. I have a YouTube channel. There's a lot of stuff I have going on, but I didn't in phases. Like yes. I didn't start with all these things. Same as you, like looking at your, your books and your quiz and your website and your offers, you started, you did one, like with your CEO retreat, for example, right? You did one, you were like, cool, that worked. How can I improve it? How can I sell more of these? This is such a great case study to walk through because when I started the CEO retreat, which is a one day in-person event that I host to help people come together and create their 90 day plans. It was honestly, it was an experiment at the time that I did it. I already had established programs in place And I was just having this feeling like, oh, this would be cool. I think my people would be interested in this. And at the same time, because I'm a bootstrapper by nature, I didn't want to overinvest into it until I knew how it was going to work, right? I didn't want to commit resources. And the hard thing about in-person events is you do have to commit resources upfront because you have to book a space. You have to, if you're going to have food and beverage there, like you have to figure out catering. There are some logistics there that you have to put money out for. So you have to pay before you can test it. And I knew going into the CEO retreat that that was something, you know, okay, I've got to be willing to lose the $3,000 I'm putting out just to book the space and, and have everything kind of set up. But I tested it in, in a minimum viable product way. I did not create a new brand for it. I literally went on Canva and created a logo (laughs) for it. I did not invest in a designer to make a workbook. I made it in my pages app on my computer and just kept it really, really simple. And then once we got sales in, I went to the printer and had them all printed. I didn't invest in really anything. I just used what I already had. I used what I already had to see if it would work. And when I put the ticket price out there, I was just wondering like, how much would people pay for a one-day event? I had no clue. So I just put it out there. And suddenly I ended up with 55 people showing up to that first CEO retreat, which blew my mind. But because I did not overinvest, I could really see like, okay, by the time I flew my team in to help me with it, because managing 55 people for an in-person event, it's hard to do on your own. You need someone else there to run logistics. I needed to pay her airfare, pay her day rate, put her in a hotel. I needed to book the space. I mean, it gets expensive. But by the time we finished all of it, I was profitable with that event. And I realized people want this. Now's the time to reach out to my designer and say, can you take what we started and turn this into like a professional workbook and and give me a real logo? I didn't have a real brand for that offer until 
nine months after we had run it. And that was when it made sense to reinvest into it. Once I had proved the concept, I also learned in that event, I way underpriced it. (laughs) And so I realized (laughs) that for the price point that I initially set, which was, I think it was like $297. And if you were a client, you got $100 off. But when you think about how many people that is and how much you're managing and then figuring out like what's the real cost per person, dividing all those costs up, I realized, oh, I need to like double this price in order to actually make this make sense. Um, but it all started with keeping it really simple, using what I had and getting people to buy it before I invested in making it fancier. I love that. I have a very, well, not similar, parallel um, journey with my events. Um, I always knew I wanted to run like retreats, like the full on, like my dream was, you know, Olive Grove, you know, Tuscany, Hillside, homemade pasta and wine in the evening and having a group of entrepreneurs there. But I knew like I couldn't, that was just too much of an investment to, to I, and I couldn't validate that concept. So my first ever event was in my living room. My sister did our catering and we had um, like 17 people turn up from like all across Europe, including, and then in the US, um, New Jersey and Vancouver Island, they all came to Amsterdam to my living room for my first one day workshop. And then less than two years later, I ended up finally doing my invite only powerhouse retreat in Tuscany in a private olive grove. But like, I had that vision in my head. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very, you know, that was the plan for this year as well, but you know, hashtag pandemic. So we will see when the next one will be. (laughs) But I think that like, I had that vision in my head. I knew this is what I eventually want to create, like that kind of experience. And, and yeah, it's just, you have to have that process of validation. Um, so I want to, um, touch on something you just mentioned earlier about sales. Yeah. I think that when people start businesses, it's all very, look at these beautiful brand photo shoots that look so glamorous and this like slick website. And oh my gosh, I need a nurture sequence and a funnel when actually you just need to sell the clients. Let's talk about that. So I have a bone to pick with the online space right now because I feel like they there is just so much hype out there about you need a complicated funnel and all of these moving parts in place when actually all you need is a phone and an email. If you can have somebody get on a phone call with you, honestly, the worst salesperson in the world seriously, if you love what you do, like I have seen people, the worst, the people who aren't good at sales, they say, I'm terrible at sales. These conversations make me feel so weird. They can still convert 20, 25% of their calls into a client. So if you start running the numbers, it is cheaper and faster and way more lucrative to simply get a Calendly account, have free 20, 30 minute sales conversations and get some clients in the door via a phone call or a Zoom call or a Skype call or whatever technology you want to use. It is way more efficient and way more profitable to do that than to set up a complicated funnel, which is going to take you a ton of time and energy to figure out, to test, and then drive traffic to for a 1% to 2% conversion rate, which I know there are a lot of people out there who are saying, but my funnel converts at 5% or blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you the average is 1% to 2%. And if you are higher than that, good on you, but you probably had to do a lot of testing. And honestly, you probably have the experience with your target market to create that funnel. And where I see a lot of people struggling is they go into, well, I don't want to work one-on-one or I don't want to have one-on-one conversations. And because they don't understand their community, they don't know how to create 
the marketing that was actually going to resonate because they've not had real conversations with those people. So I believe the fastest and easiest way to get sales is to just have real conversations. And even somebody who doesn't feel confident in that, if you have four calls, you'll probably walk away with a client so much faster and easier than if you try to set up a complicated webinar automated funnel system. Like I probably shouldn't admit this, but it's May, 2020, and I do not have an email nurture sequence. Why are you embarrassed to admit that? Who cares? Yeah, like you you know, you should probably have one. I'm like, yeah, but I've been business for six years. Would it have helped me maybe get a couple more clients or like nurture subscribers? Sure. Am I running a business without it? Yes, I am. So I think especially like in the earlier stages when people are starting out and you see all these things you feel like you should have, it's just like this, this is what got me into burnout. I was just so incredibly overwhelmed trying to learn and do all the things when I should have just focused on who can I work with? What can I sell? How can I help people solve problems? One of my favorite conversations with a client who showed up for my very first CEO retreat, she was a website designer and she was hitting burnout hard because of the shoulds, the, I need to blog every week. I need to email my list every week. I should have an automated funnel in place. And I do this exercise at the CEO retreat where we actually sit down and write down the last 10 clients you got and then figure out where did they come from? And she looked at it and she said, oh my gosh, Rachel, out of my last 10 clients, almost all of them came from referral and Mm -hmm. over half came from one referral source. And she said, do I still have to have my email list and newsletter and blog? And I was like, no. What if we actually double down on the referrals and focus on how are you going to get more referrals? And she realized they were coming from one person who happened to be in the real estate industry who coached real estate agents. So instead of spending the next year worrying about all this content marketing, she had put herself on that content marketing hamster wheel, right? Instead, she was like, you know what? I'm going to go to this guy's event. I'm going to pitch him to speak at his event in front of all of these real estate agents and talk about the most important things that should be on your real estate agent website and how to optimize your website for sales. And I was like, perfect. She did a massive year and actually was able to retire her husband from his job to come home and help her with her business as a website designer specifically focused on real estate agents. And now she's like the go-to person and she doesn't have to do all of the content marketing because that's not where her people were coming from. And I see this often with, don't you see this too? Like with people who are higher end service providers, sometimes it's, it's actually can be challenging to get higher end clients off an email list, but from yeah. referral, they will come like crazy. Yeah. I started realizing that a couple of years ago when I, I, was really stressing myself out with blogging. Actually, I yeah. realized um, since then that this is why I have a podcast because it's like a thousand times easier and more fun for I me know. to have a half an hour conversation with someone like you than stress out for a week over editing a blog post. It's like if I'm looking for a device, like, hey, I want to join a higher end mastermind, or I want a course on this specific topic, or I'm looking to hire this specific person, I didn't go to Google. I didn't check out blog posts. I went and I asked all my friends. Yes. Right. So already really early on, I started tapping a lot more into building relationships. The year I had my burnout um, as I was recovering because I wasn't really able to work. I did a ton of virtual coffee chats, which I I am still friends with and like referral partners with so many people. That was like, what, three, four years ago now. 
Yeah. And I think this is a difference. We were talking about people who are earlier stage entrepreneurs, earlier stage entrepreneurs, I feel like are more likely to join an email list. They're more likely to be on the search for content. They're more likely to be on the search for courses. But once you get out of that stage, we tend to seek for help via referral. Like I think about every single person I've hired on my team right now, or who is a contractor that I've worked with, my my publicist, that was a referral. The woman who pitches me for podcasts, that was a referral. My marketing department is all referral-based. Like everybody has come to me from referrals. Sarah Onkamo Ashman, who we both love and adore, she came to me because I saw the work she had done for a friend of mine. And I was like, I need this. I need this magic. How do I work with her? And it was all referral-based. And I think that's, if you are looking for people who are, if you're working B2B and you're a service provider, getting into networks is the most powerful thing you can do. And that's one reason, even though I am a super introvert, I love attending events because I know that I will meet those right people and either I will find somebody who can help me or someone will find me who I can help. I always walk away from events with clients and with people who can support me in growing my business. You are speaking my language. Um, It took me running three international events to realize I was actually an introvert, which makes, you know, so much more sense, uh, sense to me now, but it's, it's really, it's, it's the personal networks. It's if you can go to an event where your ideal clients are going there or speaking there, like that's definitely a big one. Um, I try to go to an international event in the U S at least once a year, just because that is where a lot of my audience and clients are. But it's also um, not just the big conferences, which I think have the time and place, but I found much better results from the smaller, more intimate events and retreats. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I prefer the smaller events. And I I like, I would say boutique conferences that are under Hmm. 200 people. They're much more manageable for me energetically to handle. The conferences like South by Southwest or... Um, Alt Summit that are just so massive where there's thousands and thousands of people that can be overwhelming and can start to feel a little difficult to like find your people while you're there. But boutique conferences that are on the smaller side, I have always found, I actually just posted a picture on my Facebook of an event I spoke at in 2015. It was Natalie Lussier's event that she hosted in Dallas. And I met some of the best women there and we kind of made our own little table of eight or 10 of us there. And we just had the best weekend together. And then we continued to hire each other, to promote each other, to support each other over the years. We've hosted our own little mastermind weekends away. And those relationships were really incredible and valuable. And I'm still in contact with every single one of those women. And that's incredibly powerful for me when I look out and I realize, oh, I've built this this network of incredible women. Like you can say, I need somebody who specializes in SEO or I need someone who works on content. I need someone who does this. And I'm like, great, let me go in my mental Rolodex. I probably know an incredible woman who I've met at an event or through a referral who would be a great fit for that. I did the exact same thing. I love that. And and I think that you touch on something that I feel is really like underrepresented almost and undervalued in the industry, peer masterminds and peer retreats. Like, Just there's nothing stopping you from booking an Airbnb, like getting dates together with a bunch of close business friends and just doing your own thing. You don't need to wait for an opportunity for that. Absolutely. Actually, this is something I did very early on. I have 
an amazing friend, Lauren Fritch. I'll give her a little shout out because she's one of my OG business BFFs. And right after I had my twins, um, she was also growing her business. And we used to go have weekends at her beautiful loft in downtown Richmond, Virginia. And it was like a vacation for me because I had all these little babies and I would get to go stay the day or the weekend with her. And all we would do is mastermind. We would map out like, what are we doing this year? We would have yoga on the rooftop. We would go out for an amazing dinner and have a great time together. And that was a quarterly thing that me and Lauren and a couple other, we would have some other women we would invite to join us. And it was so powerful and so deeply nurturing. And we didn't have to invest five figures to join a mastermind, which at that time, I mean, that's kind of the standard for joining a higher level mastermind. You're going to make a five figure investment into that. But we found a way to make it work for us. And it was so much fun. Um, And we always left that weekend, putting the next weekend date in our calendars and finding a place where we would have it. One time we went out, we found this beautiful yurt in the middle of the mountains. It was amazing. Like this yurt in the middle of the mountains, I could sleep four women and had this beautiful view. It was just an incredible weekend. Another time we went to a vineyard, not too far, about an hour and a half from us um, and stayed in this gorgeous hotel on this vineyard. And I was just like, this is awesome. And we just made it happen ourselves. It was so powerful. And I'm still, again, I'm still, that's 10 years later, I'm still in contact with all of those women. We still connect and mastermind and support one each other all the time. Yeah, I think that's just so powerful. And not just, like, I feel sometimes when you talk about this stuff, it sounds like you had like a really nice weekend, drank wine, you know, and had a bit of a holiday. But like the reality, I mean, that is part of it. And yes, that's really fun to relax. But I feel like the moment you step outside your regularly scheduled day-to-day I know even if I'm at home and having a break, I'm still thinking about, okay, I have to take out the dishwasher, the laundry's there, probably should vacuum the floor eventually. But when you take yourself out of that situation and go somewhere completely different in an inspiring location with people whose energies inspire you, like I leave events like that or even meet up lunches like that. Like I have, you know, meet up with Marianne Finmeyer, mm-hmm. um, who's we know uh, both know, or Molly Pittman, who's also in Amsterdam. She's also on my podcast, um, has been on my podcast And like every time I leave, even having a lunch or a coffee with one of them, I feel like I'm walking on clouds because I'm just so re-energized and inspired. Um, I want to come back uh, quickly to, we kind of started mentioning about like service providers getting off the content marketing hamster wheel and focusing on sales and referrals. Do you think there's still a place for content marketing for people like that? Absolutely. But I think you have to be clear about where your clients are coming from. So a great example of this is my friend, Claire Pelletro, who is a Facebook ads educator. And she shared on her podcast, which is called the Get Paid Podcast, that she still gets tons of traffic to her website via SEO. So for her, having very key... she She's a Facebook ad expert. So obviously, people are searching for that specific topic. It's very SEO friendly. And she has really optimized that. But when she looked back, again, the 10 last clients exercise, when she looked back, she realized, wow, a lot of these people were finding me because of SEO. And then they were getting into booking a consult with me or now getting into a funnel that she might have in place. But for a long time, that's how she got a lot of clients. So you have to pay attention to where they are coming from. I know that I get a lot of clients from my podcast. Actually, that's what I, I did a keynote for She Podcast Live last year about 
what I call my podcast sales system because my podcast launches actually work better than any webinar launches I've ever hosted. But I'm not offering one-on-one work at this point. I'm definitely, my business model has shifted and I'm more focused on my mastermind programs that I run. And for that, um, content does really well because I need to be able to sell at scale. And I think that's the biggest thing to pay attention to. Like if you are a service-based business and you're still primarily working one-on-one, do you really need to market at sale, at scale, or do you just need to have, you know, 20 clients a year? If you just need to have 20 clients a year, then you don't need to work so hard. But if you need to have 200 clients a year, you're going to have to do a lot more marketing at scale in order to make that happen. And knowing where you fall on that spectrum um, is really important. This is where I see a lot of people, like you said, burning out or getting overwhelmed because they're trying to market at scale, but the conversion rates do start to drop a little bit. The only reason I market in the way that I do is because the conversion rates work for my business at this point. My platform is big enough and established enough that the numbers work. And so one of the first things I do with my clients is we sit down and we look at how big is your audience? How many people are here? And then we decide as we crunch the numbers, does it make sense to just have one-on-one conversations, which are much higher converting? Or if we can't do that anymore, do we need to go straight into higher, more complicated marketing and sales? And it kind of depends. Sometimes we do a hybrid. Sometimes we do a mashup of those where they will leverage content marketing, but still send people to sales calls. And I think there's a place for all of it. You just have to be really clear on your business model. Like if you only need 20 clients a year, I would not be writing a weekly blog unless I knew it was very search friendly. Or you like really loved writing that or blog. Or you and really love writing. You. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's that's such a great point. I think it's, it's, it's to me, this is all like a spider web. It's all interconnected because how do you know if you only need 20 clients a year? I mean, it depends on your pricing. It depends on your weekly schedule. It depends yeah. on how many hours you put in per client. So maybe if you're now saying you, you do your calculation, you go, oh my God, I need 150 clients a year. Well, maybe you should raise your prices or lower the amount of time you put in per client. But I think this gives, I hope, well, I would assume, and I hope that this would give a lot of people a lot of food for thought. It's something that I always see. I just like, it, it hurts my heart. Like it physically hurts my, ch- like me in my chest when I see people posting on Facebook going, I'm starting a new business and I'm going to be creating a course and a funnel and a nurture sequence. And I'm just like, oh, but Okay. <laughs> I I do too. And I just want to say this, as you're looking for mentors, there's a lot of do as I say, not as I do happening in the online space right now. Everyone who is teaching courses right now did not start with a course. Yes. If you look backwards, if you look backwards and you really listen to their story, you will find that they started with a one-on-one service. They were coaching, they were consulting, they were a service provider. And they might not have loved it. In fact, part of their story that they're using to sell you on the course model was, I hated my business. But you know what they learned? They learned everything they could about their audience. They got to really get in and understand the psychology behind the people that they're trying to serve. They got really clear on the pain points. And if you don't understand those things, selling at scale is nearly impossible. So while those people are telling you the course model is the way to go, really understand that they're telling you based on where they are now and not where they were 10 years ago. 
And it's either going to take you a lot of time to build the audience size that can support a course model, or it's going to take you a lot of money to run the ads that will be required to support the course model. So pay attention, go back, do a little digging, because there's a lot of people saying, do as I say, not as I do. And if they were to really crunch the numbers on what it's going to take to make that profitable, you would understand that it's a safer, more sustainable way to start with a higher touch service and really get to understand your potential clients and then build the next phase of your business. Yeah, I wish I could like underline and highlight what you just said. Be like, guys, like you take one thing away from this interview, like conversation, this is it. I think it's always so much easier to sell services, even if that's not your ideal business model, which it is not like a pure one-on-one business model, I don't think is the ideal business model for most of us, but it's the easiest thing to start bringing in some kind of sustainable revenue and income to be able to build your audience and understand psychology to move towards something a little bit more scalable. Yes, absolutely. And it is worth it. Consider it, this is your paid internship, right? Like it's the time that you're putting in to really understand how to market and sell to your audience. And is it fun? Is it hard? Is it a little more time consuming? Yeah, absolutely. But every business owner needs to understand those things, period. (laughs) End of story, underline, highlight. (laughs) Um, Rachel, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for being here. Um, As we wrap up, I would love to ask you a final question. I'd love for you to issue a quest, an action step to our listeners. What is one thing they should do this week? I think one thing everyone could do this week based on our conversation that could be incredibly illuminating and helpful for you is to do the 10 last clients exercise. Just grab a notebook, go in, write down your 10 last people who paid you and figure out where they came from. You can figure out where they came from by asking them. You can go into your email record and figure out how they interacted with your email list if you're selling them that way. Um, There's a lot of ways to figure out where they came from. You can look at your intake forms, but that will be incredibly helpful. We'll tell you where you should double down instead of trying to do all the things. Double down on what is actually bringing those clients in the door. Underline exclamation mark. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for being here. It's been absolutely lovely. Thanks for having me. Hey, hey. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you never miss new episodes. And if you have a business bestie who needs to hear this message, go share this with them. See you in the next one. Love and magic, Maggie.